Philippe Larabors. I'm a young Black professional, creative, and thought leader living and working in Washington, D.C., navigating postgraduate life, career, and relationships, all while striving to be a better version of myself. Philippe and Company is a platform where I come together with others to discuss and deconstruct these prominent themes in life and so much more. Come on, let's get into it. Hey you, you listener right now, yeah, you, tell me, do you ever wonder, what is it like being black women in business? Or would you like to know more about what normalizing counseling for people of color actually looks like? If so, then you're in the right place. Today's company is Monica Bienname and Cynthia Lizer, therapist and co-owners of Hope Family Counseling, a private therapy practice in Stratford, Connecticut. We touch on themes of business ownership, destigmatizing therapy in communities of color, and explore what it means to fully walk in your purpose. Can you can you both tell me like what sets Hope Family Counseling apart from others? It's faith-based counseling. Um for me personally with my clients, one of the most requested um type of counseling services that they would like to um actually have incorporated in our counseling session. So that's like big for us because I actually get to and I think Monica does it too, but we get to pray with our clients, right? Monica actually, which I'll let you tell that story, did a worship with her clients. Is that uncommon to like be faith-based in like a counseling? It's not that it's uncommon, but usually what you'll find is Christian counseling centers that only navigate towards Christian counseling. So one of the things that sets us apart is we're really adamant about not having it be just Christian or faith-based counseling, but to have it as an option. We are open to anyone from any faith belief or any lifestyle, um, but we just want to incorporate that as an option. And what I've found even with certain clients who will come in and um, have whatever issues with faith and questions and we don't navigate towards it. There is no pressure um, that it's by request only. So it's never implemented without it being requested. Um, But then I'll find at some point because of just, I guess, probably what they feel, the atmosphere or what they're receiving, they will then warm up and um, ask to incorporate faith in the process. So I think it's been pretty cool to see that, to be able to let it organically happen and not just pressure people into incorporating faith. Um, I'm big and we have t-shirts that we wear that says, um, prayer and therapy equal healing. Mm -hmm. So I'm really big on the component of like, I'm not just because I'm Christian, I'm not going to say like, Jesus is the only answer to it. Yes, he's the answer. But like, also there are therapeutic methods that also promote healing. So understanding the balance. Absolutely. Do you ever have any like, people who like have resistance towards that? Or do you feel like it's sort of muted enough? Or goes without saying enough that it's like fine. Do you know what I mean? I don't think we've had resistance primarily because we don't force it on our clients, right? Mm -hmm. We make it optional. Um, And I think also too, it comes as um, like it's spiritually led, Mm -hmm. right? So sometimes the client might feel led and say, you know what, I've been feeling this way. Can we pray together? Or can we incorporate faith-based counseling, right? Or even for me, I might say, you know what, it's been heavy on my spirit. I feel like this is what God told me. So I feel because of that, when it's led, it's not as um, 
easily resisted um, versus if you just say to this client, like, hey, we offer this and this is what we're going to do because mm-hmm. it's part of our session. Yeah. Right. And I think having that option and also just uh, just moving as we're led to also gives that flexibility. Mm-hmm. I Can both of you, each of you tell me a little bit about how you landed in this space? Like, did you always see yourself being a therapist? Um, did you foresee being, you know, were, you guys are friends, like longtime friends, and we're basically family. Did you ever see that you would have a private practice together? Like, whoever wants to start, just tell me sort of maybe like your background, even like with schooling and like where you've worked in the past and just sort of paint the picture of your journey to this spot. Okay, so for me personally, I've always and Monica can attest to this, I've always wanted a private practice. That's always been a goal of mine. Um, how it was going to happen, I had no idea. Um, when it was going to happen, I had no idea, right? And honestly, I think at some point throughout the years, I kind of just started just let it fall by the wayside. Like, you know what? It was a goal, but it's not as feasible as I thought it was. Honestly, there were times where I was discouraged because literally every professor that I had, so I attended Fairfield University for my master's program, Every professor that I had owned their private practice, but every professor that owned a private practice also worked multiple jobs. Mm -hmm. So that was discouraging knowing that, okay, you can't live off of a (laughs) private practice because the income is like probably lower, not where it should be to help you like live in Fairfield County. Mm -hmm. Right. And they would also tell us, right? Like, yes, you can own your private practice. However, it's important to have something else like lined up. Um, So that was also discouraging. I was like, okay, I won't be opening my private practice um, anytime soon or maybe not at all. Um, But to give you a little bit of background, so I went to Fairfield Jew, as I said, for a master's degree, went to Southern for my bachelor's degree. I worked at a mental health um, facility for eight years in Norwalk. And that also further like confirmed for me that I love being in the mental health field. I work there as a case manager. So working with the clients, going to their visits for the, with their psychiatrist, um, being present in those sessions mm-hmm. really like further confirmed for me, like, yes, you love working with people um, and want to do beyond what I was doing as case manager, which is what also prompted me to like, let's just apply to a grad school. Mm-hmm. Um so I've always wanted a private practice. Didn't see how it was going to happen. Like I said, because I became discouraged, it just wasn't a topic of conversation anymore. And then <laughs> um, Monica randomly said to me, like, right? It was like a random, we were together one random day walking, like doing our summer walk, actually, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother testimony in itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yes, we're, we were like on our summer walk, it's like 630 maybe seven in the morning. And we always had like very fruitful conversations. And this is how um, the private practice conversation came up through one of those conversations. Mm-hmm. And it literally, I feel like we close our eyes, open our eyes, and here we are mm-hmm. sitting in our office. So that was last summer? That was last summer. Mm-hmm. So I have a little bit of a <laughs> different story than yeah. Cynthia um, because I didn't want a private practice. I didn't see myself um, as a therapist, always, um, I went through many transitions through college of what I wanted to do. Um, I'm really passionate about children and I work really well with children. And that's where my first job was. Um, I was actually, you know, working at the school Philip was at. So I was one of his teachers at one point. Um, so I thought I was going to be a teacher, um, but I didn't like doing lesson plans. And so we had to go back to the drawing board and I liked social 
social work because of the diversity of what you could offer with social work. I am naturally a helper. I found that that's, you know, who I am at core. So going back to school to be a social worker was really um, naturally walking into who I was and culturally being of Haitian um, descent. Social work was not a predominant field, um, but I had an older cousin who was a social worker who kind of broke the door down um, in our family and made it a little bit more socially acceptable. So when I did... I also feel like you normalized it a lot. Like a lot of people, the both of you, like younger than you also now realize like, oh, wait, this is a career that you could actually like have a life off of. So sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah, she set the way and... um, and I guess I pushed down the door with her mm-hmm. right after. And um, so with that, being in school, this is why the faith-based um, practice is so important because literally this is God-led. Like this whole business yeah. is God's vision. So I can't take credit and say like, oh, I've always known this was my dream fulfilled. Um, this is actually, this was God's vision for me. And I just walked what he presented in front of me. I was just open-minded and willing to say yes to those things that were presented before me, including going to school. Because initially, um, when I did finally go in for my master's in social work, um, I challenged God and I was like, you know, if I'm really supposed to be this social worker, then I'm going to apply to one school and one school only with my jacked up GPA and I'm going to get in. And um, I challenged God and he challenged me back and I got into Fordham um, with a 2.5 GPA, which is something really unheard of. Um, so yeah, when I went in, I was like, all right, so let's take this serious. And I knew at that point I wanted to explore marriage and family therapy, but never wanted to sit at a desk and do it all day. So fast forward to um, the pandemic, I got my master's license in an unbelievable way, um, my LMSW. And so I was working on getting my LCSW um, and just more so for marketable purposes and less of to do counseling. And But I was working towards the goal, had got, as Cynthia had shared, I got really discouraged because for those who don't know, um, the process to do mental health is not as easy as people think. Um, I have many friends who are going through challenges trying to pass these exams because in addition to going to school, you have to do 3,000 practice hours. You have to do 100 hours of supervision. Um, and, and often if you don't work a job where you have a supervisor, you need to extend outside and um, potentially pay someone per hour. So if you're paying 50, 75, $100 per hour for 100 hours, that's bank that you're yeah. investing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really discouraging for me because working at a school, I had no supervisor. And um, I literally, all it took was someone who saw the vision for me and willing to invest uh, because you know, whether I'm supposed to say this or not, I, because it's who I am, I was authentically counseling people before I had a license. So someone saw what I was doing and the vision. And I was like, listen, I'm not doing this for money. I'm not counseling people. You can't say that over, you know, whatever, because I'm not licensed. And she asked me what my barriers were. And it took that one challenge where she said, I'm willing to help pay for your supervision. And that reignited. Um, and she never even needed to, because 
everything fell into place with supervision. Um, there are so many people who are part of our story of why this happened. Um, so in during the pandemic, finished up my supervision hours, which was unbelievable. Um, talking to Cynthia, and when I was finishing up my supervision hours, I'm like, if we're really talking about this business thing, because at first it was just a walk, and right. then we were transitioning. I'm like, if we're really doing this business yeah. thing, Cynthia, like, let's sit down and have a meeting. And it was that one meeting in September 2020 that we sat at the kitchen table and everything that I said or she responded, we agreed with. Yeah. So we realized we had the same vision for a business um, about faith-based and how we didn't want it to be the forefront. We wanted it to be the foundation. So it's not um, inclusive of only people who are faith-based, but we want to be able to provide those services. We want it to be something for women of color. Mm-hmm starting a business. Um, but also we wanted to offer counseling and normalize it for people of color. And we haven't talked about that part yet, but normalizing counseling for people of color was huge for us. Um, so being able in a pandemic and where we know that mental health is going to be on a rise, we set a time path. And honestly, we exceeded even our, that's why Cynthia said we blinked and we were here. September, we talked about it. October, I took a leap of faith and took my license exam. I registered for it on Saturday and I took it on Monday. And that's something people usually um, study for months for. And just over a weekend, I was able to pass my licensure exam. So we we thought this vision would have been late 2021. Right. Um, but I got my license and I thought I'd be licensed um, by this time, like June, mm-hmm. um, March, June in um, 2021. But I got my license and I October 2021, we got 2020, I'm sorry, October 2020. And um, we got our business open November November. 2020. Um, One of our friends blessed us and helped us with the paperwork. We launched virtually January 2021. Oh, Cynthia got her LPCA. Sorry, Cynthia got her LPCA December 2020. What does that stand for? Licensed Professional Counselor Associate. Gotcha. Yes. And that was a important piece of the puzzle. Um, so, uh, so it was happening month after month. So September, October, November, December, January, we virtually launched. Um, and then we said, okay, we will move into a space in about six months and six months, almost to date, we were able to move into our office space. So it literally was a blink of an eye that everything fell into place. And especially during 2020, where everyone is at home or like with your people so much more, I'm sure that made it go by even faster. So basically, you started talking or you not you literally had the first conversation in May. And then by January, you were in you were open up and running. And had and your yeah, virtual ju- launch. July-ish, I think. That we had Not a conversation. Even, yeah. The, the summer July. walk. Oh, July. Yeah. Yeah. July. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, Not even a whole year. Yeah. Not even and a year. You both are first-time business owners, right? Like, this yes. is your first time owning a business. You mentioned, Monica, just a second ago, that part of what you're trying to do here is normalize therapy for people of color. You both are women of color. We're Haitian. Yeah. Um, children of immigrants. I want to know for each of you when therapy became a normal thing for you personally like did you always know that therapy is a thing that helps you that it's okay to do Mm -hmm. or did you have to learn it at some point because 
it's not common in our community, especially in the you know Caribbean or the you know the Haitian community, the immigrant community. So, at what point did you realize that not only was it even pre like knowing you want to pursue it as a career, when did you just realize that counsel and therapy is something that is important? I could say for myself, I actually answered this question over the weekend. Someone asked me, and it became um, normal for me because I started asking questions and I started exploring things when things were happening in my family and friend groups. And I was noticing patterns and I'm like, wow. And when people would dump things on me or unpack or, you know, um, whatever process they would, I'd be so interested in making those connections. So when I went to school Mm -hmm. for it, um, I started to realize that there were many things that we could have avoided. And there were a lot of traumas that as immigrants and especially with Haiti and um, the poverty and all of the traumatic things that our parents went through. And I realized they never got to process trauma. And I didn't want to continue the generational pattern of not processing trauma. So I started being very open. And um, one of the things I tell people, uh, grad school was expensive, but it was the best combined of education and therapy. Because um, one of the great things about my master's program is it challenged you to talk about things in papers and expose us as therapists so that we were able to unpack those things before we start seeing people. Um, And so for myself, that was big. And I learned a lot about myself through the master's program and then understanding my family dynamics and, you know, people of color and and breaking down that stigma. And then during the pandemic, myself, I said, you know, now I'm not in school anymore. Now I've transitioned. I need to have my own therapist who was also pretty instrumental because she was a therapist and she's coached me through owning a business. Mm -hmm. So that's when therapy became for me, like your therapist needs a therapist too. (laughs) So, you know, it's a lot when you take on um, everyone's weight. So in addition, that normalized it too. Um, And I feel like in my friend group of social workers and therapists, um, and nor- it made them more comfortable when I was able to start saying out loud, I was very open about it. Like, yep, I'm a therapist and I need therapy too. And it shocks a lot of people. Right. And it actually, I found open them up like, wow, if Monica, who seems to be, you know, put together and all this stuff is going to therapy, then I could go to therapy too. Yeah. And for me, I have to say it started when I first started at the mental health um, agency that I worked for in Norwalk. Um, I started there in 2008. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until then when I started case management that I realized part of my role as a case manager is to assist these clients to their psychiatrist appointments, right? Mm -hmm. And that for me was like the first interaction that I've had with like a mental health professional um, outside of just like you know, being just a case manager myself and just being on a team with my peers, Mm -hmm. but also seeing how like it's instrumental for the clients to have this professional that they can go to and like say whatever is going on and what they need help with. And even though with this, with psychiatrists, they can prescribe medications, but they're also there to support. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was with that, that I realized, I think I want to do something like this, right? Like, I think I wanted to beyond what case management can offer because Though with case management, you build this impeccable relationship with the clients because you're constantly with them. The time that you're at work, you're with these clients throughout the day. Um, It also, for me, made me realize that I want to be able to do more and be able to reach these clients in more ways than I can do with case management. Mm -hmm. So because of that, that's when I started looking into grad school for mental health counseling. 
Um, and it was there that I realized this, this really works. Like this is not just like a show. It's not just like to like, just look good. Like this is very helpful for people. Mm-hmm. And I want to be a part of those people. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's when I started looking. And then, so when I was accepted to Fairfield Jew and started their program, they have an amazing program. Right. And because of that, I learned a lot about myself, similar to Monica. We also had to unpack a lot, but we actually had to do, um, we had to role play a lot. But we were told to not role play as if we're like being fake clients, but like role play and really let out what you need mm-hmm. to. Um, and that was helpful, mm-hmm. right? Like they wanted you to literally be the client. Like they wanted you to know what it's like to be the client and feel like a client in that chair, um, which gave you two perspectives, right? Like it gave you the perspective of being a client, but also when you are the therapist on the opposite side to be sensitive, right? And mm-hmm. to understand what this client may be going through because now you know. Yeah. Um, so that was helpful because I had many times where we had to role play. Um, and many t- and it made you vulnerable because mm-hmm. now you're role playing, but you're either role playing in front of your classmates, right? Or you're role playing and you have to record it and send it off to your professor. We also had a three tier supervision. So now I have to send it to three supervisors that I'm being supervised by mm-hmm. at Fairfield Jew, right? So the vulnerability, um, the transparency, having to be open also further re- made me realize how healthy it is to like have this outlet and to like also be that person that's vulnerable in that chair because as a therapist, you don't even realize that this client literally has to be vulnerable, right? Yeah. You're just saying, I'm just doing my job. Right. But now when you know what it feels like, it's like, wow, there is power in this, right? It's healthy to do that. Yeah. And that for me is like, yep, this is it. Yeah. This is it. And it works. That's amazing. So it sounds like both of you and Monica, you mentioned this a few minutes ago, too, that you kind of have always been doing this and like you, mm-hmm. you know, but it sort of picked up when you both started exploring it more during undergrad mm-hmm. um, or, or post-grad with, oh, for Fairfield yes. U. Um, I would like to know, like today in July um, 8th, 2021, I want to know what you would tell that. 2008 mm-hmm. caseworker like how different or similar do you still feel to that person mm-hmm. i know that person and i know this person and i i i'm trying to even figure it out like i feel like it's the same person but hearing you talk about mm-hmm. just now and break down what you were doing back then and seeing what you're doing now the family woman that you are now mm-hmm. i'm interested to know just personally how different or similar you feel mm-hmm. to that person and then same for you monica like but you know how different or similar do you feel Because it's the same thing, like you still are that person that's sort of like the pillar in your circles, whether it's family or friends or anywhere that people, you know, whether they realize they're dumping or not, for some reason, they've people have always felt drawn to you to for some type of guidance in some way or another. Like that's always been you since, you know, a a teenager or probably before. But now, you know, having so much work experience and having your own business and having fostered people in your home and having like gone through all this, how similar or different do you feel? So, so whoever wants yeah. to go first, she went, Cynthia went first before. So you should. Oh, go. Right. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, make this so <laughs> two, 2008 or 2005 Monica, or even 2016 Monica mm-hmm. who graduated. Um, one of the things that I would have said is one, not to limit myself 
Um, I think the reason God had to push me through everything is because I viewed everything that I did as so small. Mm-hmm. And it's great to be humble and it's great to um, accept things and, you know, just be who you are. But there's, it's also great to um, know how much power you have inside of you and how much you're capable of and how much to push the limits um, past it. I've always been and Phil would probably say, um, I've always been a push the limit, you know, didn't go with the trends, but I didn't understand the power behind it. I did it, but I didn't understand the power behind it. And I would honestly tell myself, and um, there's a few things that even today, I was just told uh, a few minutes ago at the ribbon cutting um, by a um a friend of mine that I call my big sis. And she said, um, stop limiting yourself of opportunities. I sat there and, you know, she wanted me to talk to the mayor and let mm-hmm. her know that I'm also a school social worker. And I have, mm-hmm. you know, um, 15, almost 15 years experience working with children in school aspects. And, you know, sometimes I forget, it's not even that I forget, but I don't think to speak of myself as such. Um, so I work and I just do, I just help people. I just am. And it's okay to just be, but also there's a power in knowing who you are. And if it's faith-based for me, it's like, in knowing whose I am too, mm-hmm. right? Like God did not create me how I am to not be able to not just boast. It doesn't just boast of myself. It boasts of how dope God is. Mm-hmm. Like God literally took time and he could have picked anybody, but he handpicked me for all of these gifts and I'm limiting myself. Like I'm on earth not living fully in my purpose. Like how corny is that? You know? So I had to view that. And that's why I said, even 2016, I still have to tell myself that Um, when I took the job that I'm currently at at the school now, my, my boss then told me, you know, from the interview, what he saw is that I, I completely, um, undervalue myself in a sense, because he said, if you see who I saw, when you sat in that interview, you would have asked for so much more. Mm-hmm. And hearing that from someone who hired you, and he's like, I'm happy though that you took this and whatever, <laughs> it re- it resonated with me. It was one of, it was a life changing. That was 2017, 2016, 2017, Monica. And so it took till 2020, 2021, where I'm like, even up until last week where I was like, wow, like I did this, like I'm doing this. Like I really, um, have walked out my purpose and expanding it and opening my mind to so much more, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what I would honestly say to myself, like, don't limit yourself, like, and really rock the purpose that God has put you on this earth and stop minimizing the gifts that he put in you. Can I hop in really yeah. quick? And just to go off of that, I think that speaks to your point earlier about not continuing sort of generational trauma or even patterns, because this is sort of the plight of people of color is to sort of be conservative, be modest. I talk about this a lot on my podcast, but one thing I've noticed is when you reach a certain, as an immigrant, as you know, a refugee, as anyone who's seeking a better life in a whole new country, once you obtain stability in any sense, it's almost like in our brain to not push the boundaries, to not push the limit. Um, But you're right. Like, and I found even in in my career in like marketing and in corporate America, like no one will advertise for you or, you know, market yourself the way that you will. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that you're sort of like coming into that because I think 
that's something that we all, you know, need. It's, it's central that we do. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, when I think about the question that you asked, Phil, I would tell 2008 Cynthia that you have purpose, right? And and I, I honestly, I feel like that's even intentional, right? Like, because Monica talked about purpose. And for me, as soon as I heard that question, the first thing I thought was, do you have purpose? Because think about it, 2008, I'm brand spanking new out of undergrad, still super duper young, have no idea what I'm going to do moving forward with this bachelor degree, right? I just landed a job as a case manager at a mental health agency. But like, this is my first time working in a mental health agency, um, didn't really know what to expect, what the outcome would be, how long I would even be there for, just didn't have a plan, right? Um, and just honestly, did, they didn't even realize that there was anything else for me out there besides case management. Mm-hmm. I just felt like this was probably it. This is where I'm going to retire, mm-hmm. right? Like you just, I just didn't know. At, at that young age, you just don't even foresee anything beyond where you are in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I look back at it, that's why I say I would tell myself that you have purpose. And like, just because you're here doesn't mean you're not about to get elevated mm-hmm. in due time when God said it's time, right? And with that being said, it also made me feel um, like it also made me feel like back then when I was 2008, when I was working, it just made me feel like, like this is just where I'm meant to be. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, like I said, I didn't have a plan. Um, and so for me, that's the biggest thing. It's like, you have purpose. Just hold on. Like... It's funny because I also found myself having a conversation with someone just yesterday who's anti-counseling. Mm-hmm. Those are one of the toughest conversations <laughs> to have, actually. And I say that because when you have conversations with them, they think there's bias there mm-hmm. because, like, you work in a field and that's what you do. And I'm like, I'm not defending my job. I'm advocating for the healthy part of being in counseling, mm-hmm. right? And so having a conversation with someone who's anti-counseling is really difficult. But I found myself letting this person know Ultimately, the purpose of therapists is that they're being used by God as a vessel, right? And so though you may feel like just go to God and pray about it. Yes, that's great. But like God also sends people along to help you and support you. And if you're missing that opportunity, because in your mind, counselors aren't like the best thing since sliced bread, right? And I can just go to God. But then like if God sent me along and because you're anti-counseling, you feel that I'm not supposed to have this conversation with you. I'm supposed to go to God. Then you just miss your opportunity right there, right? right? Because we're human and we're also being used by God as his vessels. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that also ties in with the you have purpose, right? I didn't Mm -hmm. see myself here, but here I am with purpose now. And then God is using me and my sister as a vessel Mm -hmm. through counseling, Absolutely. And a sidebar plug off what Cynthia was saying um, with people who don't always believe or understand counseling and knowing that God uses people as a process. It's this also notion of understanding that every therapist is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And people yeah. minimize, like, just like every doctor is not specialized in everything. Yeah. Yeah. So one bad experience with a therapist often sets people, and I find this a lot with people of color, one therapist who ran and said medication, one, you yeah. know, I'm not for everybody. Some clients I will pray about and send them yeah. Cynthia's way um, and vice yeah. versa. Or we'll just say that this is not the right space for them. It doesn't mean that they don't need therapy or counseling is bad. It just means it wasn't the right space. So every doctor is not meant for everyone the same way. Every therapist and every counselor is not meant for everyone in every situation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might have a great therapist for you and they're not great for you guys as a couple. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people opening minds to exploring that. So that's a sidebar Mm -hmm. um, to the purpose, but I really wanted to make that known. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think 
You wouldn't know that. Like if you're someone who's who's never gone to therapy, um, mm-hmm. unless someone told you that, you just wouldn't know that like, right. oh, wait, I could try a few and like maybe the first one. Or maybe I should have someone who understands my lens on the world, being that I'm the child of an immigrant or I'm from this part of the world. Or So, yeah, I think the more that we talk about these things, especially in our community, the more that, that people will realize that this is normal. And even to your point about, I love that you advocated not for your job, but even going back to your time in school when you had to put yourself in the position of a client Mm -hmm. to know what it feels like. And then you also now know like what that did for you, the impact that it had on you personally, you can now go and share that with others. Mm -hmm. Um, Can each of you, I just want to know a little bit more about what it's like. I said this already, but we're Haitian. Um, you, you both are first-time business owners. Is there any particular ways that you're finding that, like, your background in terms of how you were raised or our culture is brought into, like, how you run the business or even outside of the business, how you counsel others? I'd say our work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know Haitians, they are hard workers. Mm-hmm. Um, our work ethic, and I think of it as uh, last night I was up at wee hours doing billing, and yeah. Cynthia will be up sometimes at wee hours doing certain things. Like our work ethic is right. um, getting it done. Right, mm-hmm. it'll get done. We'll work hard. Um, I'm on summer break and uh, for this from the school, and people will often say, "Oh, you're not doing anything," and I'm like, "Oh no, I'm doing a lot for the business in you know this summertime and taking the opportunity to grow and learn and um, take CEUs." Um, you know, credits for learning opportunities and expand what we have and prepare for the future when I'm working two jobs again, mm-hmm. um, which is also very common for Haitians because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm still a school social worker. So understanding that our work ethic comes from that. And um, as Phil said before, you know, I have a therapist who's West Indian so that she can understand the dynamics of my family relationships and things like that. Um, so I think it's pretty, it gives me diversity because I can understand being American, the American culture. And then I can also understand the West Indian culture, which is very different. Um, so helping clients in both aspects of it um, is pretty cool. Ditto. <laughs> Monica nailed it. I do want to ask you a question, though. Mm-hmm. Right, because you brought up a good point about being Haitian, right, in our culture. So how does it feel for you being Haitian yourself, mm-hmm. right, and being able to bring in two Haitian women on mm-hmm. your podcast as business owners mm-hmm. um, and just being able to ask us questions? But most importantly, like, how do you like how does it impact you and how do you feel yeah. um, as a Haitian person yourself, like a mm-hmm. Haitian individual? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I haven't really even thought about that, but, and thank you for pointing that out. And that's a blessing in itself that it's almost like normal, (laughs) like it's, (laughs) it's normal. But when I think about my just personal therapy journey in general, like my, my therapist is also West Indian. She's Jamaican. Um, so, you know, now I'm having you both on. And so just like the fact that for the past year, my whole therapy journey to this point Mm -hmm. of speaking with you has just been with black women is such a powerful thing that. I don't know. I've always really held black women in the highest regard just because I was raised by one, a single mom. And so, like, I'm surrounded by wonderful women like yourselves and have been my whole life. Um, It just feels like right, if that makes sense. Like, it doesn't feel not that it doesn't feel like a big deal, but it just feels like this is what it's supposed to be. Does that make sense? Yes. 
Like this feels like you guys have, it, I said this earlier, uh, natural progression. Like this right. feels like what it's always supposed to have been. So I just hope for my younger cousins and for your girl, Cynthia, that it feels that way too. It, it's not that it's not a big deal. It's not that it's not impressive, but it's normal. Right. They have access to it. They see it. It's just embedded in their brain. Like, you know, that mm-hmm. th- this is something that can be done. They have people in their family that own businesses and you know, that achieve these high levels of degrees in education. I love that you said it, Phil. And mm-hmm. that is one of the goals, that it does normalize it, which is why it's been so important for me to show my godchildren and, yep. you know, the kids in the community and her, um, Cynthia's children as well, um, being exposed to this. I, I talk to, I particularly work with children of color. I'm at a charter school. So we are 99% black and brown students. And they're often amazed by the things that I expose them to. So I'm big on exposure which is why it's such an honor to be on this podcast um, or even to be able to give back in this way because one could say, you know, well, we're sharing information. No, we're giving back, right? Um, Giving back the information that wasn't always given to us and we weren't always exposed to. So when I was able to even expose the children at the school to travel, for example, because I'm big on travel, and their mind was as small as Philadelphia being their goal, that one day they could get to Philadelphia. And then I can show them that, no, one day you can get to India, like I have. One day you could get to the continent of Africa and you can afford to do it. One day you could be at um, the Roman Colosseum, like I, like Miss Bianna did. That to me is some of the, the greatest things because it expands your mind. And now it's, yes, when you are hurt, you can go to a therapist. You know, I started off in a school where the parents did not want their children to meet with me. Now parents are literally, literally I have to turn down some students um, at times and they beg. Uh, Cynthia has been on the phone with me while I'm at work and kids are knocking on the door saying, can I have lunch with you? Mm -hmm. You know, to be in a color, um, a community with children of color who now are not just saying that they want to, you know, oh, maybe they're saying we want to experience this. There's something about this that's different. So that is a goal. And if anyone walks away from this podcast and that they even take a, a inch, a little bit of that, um, it is possible. I didn't want to be, and that's why I share the opposite side of the story. I don't want to paint this picture that I've always known I could do this. I've always known that, you know, for Phil, it looks like a natural progression. And I'm thinking for that. But I also want to make it clear that it's not, it wasn't for me. It was a a progression of breaking down these thoughts that limited myself. And that was so closed because it didn't feel obtainable or real. So now it is real. When Phil's brother talked to me about businesses, I didn't think I could own a business. And it is real. Like I, I, we are here and we're doing it and we're learning things. We're learning billing, accounting, taxes. Oh goodness, <laughs> take the taxes. But <laughs> learning oh, all of that. <laughs> it's real, but we didn't have parents who did this. Right. So we didn't have anyone that we could really go to aside from our peers. So now our younger siblings or our um, family members and friends can come to us and like, and ask these questions like Phil has us on a podcast. What is it like being black women in business in your early thirties? Like what? And, and you guys like now 
are remaining or are pillars in the community in a different way for your peers and for the people coming after you and even people older than you who have never owned a business and don't know what it's like. You now are that leading the way uh, in that regard too. You made a point a minute ago, Monica, about like um, knowing sort of like the power of what you're doing and maybe it might feel small to you or just feels normal because you just do it. You just live it every day. And I'm sure both of you feel that way. But even like the marketing person in me thinks like, you know, before this, we did the ribbon cutting and the press was here, right? So they're going to do a press release. Mm -hmm. It's going to be in the newspaper, your picture in front of your sign with the ribbon cutting. You're like, that seems so small, but even someone seeing the thumbnail picture on Facebook, right? A ribbon cutting where it's two black women, like relatively young, like even a, a young girl seeing that, a young boy, anyone seeing that and continuing to scroll, even that smallest little interaction has an impact that will last. I'm sure each one of us can name someone we saw on television when we were a kid or saw somewhere that is just stuck with us. So I just hope you guys realize uh, that just walking every, like you're just being, just existing, you're making that impact, let alone through the work that you're doing every day. (laughs) So thank Thank you so much for joining me. It's been, yeah, this was awesome.